We were singing that, and that's one of the songs that you find in Revelation that the uh, saints are singing in heaven. And uh, a lot of times when we sing that, and then that other one, you know, Thou art worthy, that one, that's one of those two. I don't know what the tune will be, but we certainly know the words. And uh, most of the time when I do that, I picture people that I know bowing before the throne of the Lord Jesus Christ who are already in heaven. Do you do that? And you think about them worshiping and how they're worshiping and how they're enjoying fellowship with the Lord that is absolutely pure and unhindered. And uh, then tonight, when I was singing that, I had a different thought. I thought one day, that'll be me. One day, I'll be there. One day, I'll be singing that song, whatever the tune may be, uh, but the words will be the same. Alleluia, for the Lord God Almighty reigns. And it'll be more real then than it ever has been in my heart and in your heart. And uh, we're going to see the outcome of all of that, and that is... An amazing thing, which brings me to what I felt led to uh, speak about tonight. If you will turn to the book of John, and I'd like for you to go to the 8th chapter, and we'll go down and we'll begin in the 31st verse. And um, I think about uh, all of the things that are going on. Sammy and I have been watching some uh, documentaries that are kind of disturbing. Uh, all of the stuff with Hillsong. Uh, in Australia and in New York and all the immorality and all of the false doctrine and all of the things that are going on with uh, that and what is really particularly disturbing is how many people you'll also see interviewed in there that said well I used to be on the worship team I used to be one of the pastors I used to be on the leadership team and we're talking about thousands and thousands of people and these uh, leaders they say, I no longer am a Christian. I no longer believe. We think about those kind of things. It's disturbing what's going on. On one hand, we have the largest churches we have ever had in the history of Christianity, but we seem to have more scandal. We seem to have more addictions. We seem to have more sin. And we also seem to see more falling away. Now, don't let that disturb you too much because the Bible does say before the Lord comes there will be a great apostasy or a falling away. I think we're seeing that. Some of the movements that I've been involved in, boy, the Southern Baptist Convention, we're losing members and churches like crazy right now. And it's not like there are new ones being formed. They're just people that just quit and they don't care anymore and they don't go anymore and they don't believe anymore. We uh, think about, uh, well, maybe you've watched and kept up with the Duggar family. We've watched some documentaries on that and the Bill Gothard movement that I was involved in when I was uh, much younger. And uh, so many people are just giving up, throwing up their hands, and they're saying, I can't take the scandal, I can't take the hypocrisy, I can't take any of that. And you know of... Uh, in the Duggar family, the uh, child pornography that Josh was involved in and the affairs and that kind of thing and other things going on like that. And not to mention, Bill Gothard himself is no longer with the Institute of Basic uh, Life Principles. I wanted to go with the old name because uh, of scandal and accusations and the board has asked him to step down. And it just seems like everywhere you turn, you're hearing about people falling and they were the people that seemed to be so staunch and yet it turned out it was just pure 
legalism and it was done with an ulterior motive to raise numbers and with the numbers to raise funds and people that get rich off of Christianity and even off of the scandals sometimes and we wonder even with people that we know I bet everybody in here you know somebody that in your younger days maybe not that many years ago you know somebody who was just extremely faithful and seemed to be passionate about the Lord. Now they, don't long, they longer care. They no longer go to church. They're no longer involved in anything like that at all. What in the world is going on? And then when I uh, hear about things like um, just this past week, a study came out that in our wonderful red Christian state of Oklahoma, we're so conservative, we're the buckle of the Bible belt. How many people do you know that are regularly getting high for whatever reason on marijuana now? Did you know that uh, what I heard was that Oklahoma, Oklahoma provides about 80% of the illegal marijuana on the East Coast? Did you hear the study the other day that, oh, it's just for medical purposes. That's all we're doing, just for medical purposes. I, that's fine. But you always, always think there's probably an ulterior motive and something else going on. Did you hear that in our state where we do medical, medicinal purposes only now, we produce 64% more marijuana than uh, is legally required? So who's making money off of all of this? Probably China, for one thing. And then uh, probably some of the, uh, the syndicate and the mafia, things like that. What, what is going on? And here we are just having a high old time here in the conservative state of Oklahoma. What's going on? We're supposed to be Christians. Most of our people would say that they are going to heaven when they die, that they're a part of a church, probably a Baptist church, and yet we find more and more junk that's going on we find more people that are addicted to alcohol that are addicted to drugs that are addicted to pornography and then other people that just say i'm done i give up none of this stuff really works it didn't do anything for me and it probably won't do anything for anyone else and so i'm checking out and i'm just going to do what i want to do and i'm going to be like frank sinatra and do it my way well this is what we uh, contend with in this day and age and I want to read in uh, John chapter 8 verses 31 down to verse 47 we'll read all of it and then make some uh, comments on it okay are you ready for the scripture if you are say amen. amen so Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him if you abide in my word you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free they answered him we are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone how is it that you say you will become free Jesus answered them truly truly and by the way in the Greek that is amen amen that he says there amen amen I say to you everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. They're expendable. But the son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Somebody say amen to that. We need the son to do it. 
I know that you are offspring of Abraham, and yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. That's an important statement. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. And they answered him, Abraham is our father. And Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works of your father that your father did. And they said to him, we were not born of sexual immorality. Uh, by the way, I'll just stop there. Do you get what they're insinuating about Jesus? Okay, that your, your mama was a prostitute. We were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. Now, interesting, they wanted to crucify Jesus because he said God was his father. Look at what they said. Reading on, Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God, and I am here. And I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father the devil. That that made him happy. And uh, your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies... He speaks out of his own uh, character, his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? I think that's a good question to ask a lot of people and to think about a lot of people. I think... You and I ought to be more concerned, perhaps even terrified, when we think about dropouts that just flake away and they don't really care about God, they don't care about church, they don't care about the Word, they don't care about obedience, and yet they tell you, oh, I'm okay, Jesus and me, we, we got it, we're tight, we got everything together, and I've been saved. But they sound more like the devil's kids than they do the father's kids. And we should not be nonchalant about that. I remember years ago talking to uh, a church member here. They're no longer here. but um, uh, and, and I'm not being disparaging of them because uh, they're, they're fine and walking with the Lord now. But uh, we were talking about somebody in the church that was in their Sunday school class. And then I was kind of surprised when what came out of their mouth was, well, you know, they're probably not even saved. And I thought, and that doesn't bother you? And you can say that nonchalant. You can say that without tears. You can say that without falling on your knees. You can say that without being horrified because what you mean is they are in a church hearing the gospel, hearing the Bible, and they're probably on their way to hell. In fact, they went on to say they may be wolves in sheep's clothing. Now, folks, we got to get over that kind of stuff of just going, well, they're lost. Well, they're lost. Oh, no big deal. It is a big deal deal 
to think about that. If they're related to you, it is a big deal. If they're a friend of yours, it is a big deal. If they're a neighbor or an acquaintance or a former church member, it is a big deal because it means they'll be going to hell and that will be forever. And Jesus tells us about this here. And far too often we kind of have the idea of, well, I know they're not living right now. And they've got the characteristics in here of being a child of the devil. But we, you know, know that they walked an aisle one time. They prayed a prayer. They did some things like that. So they'll be okay. They'll come around. But what if they don't? What if they're a fake? What if their salvation is counterfeit? What if they are a false convert? Isn't that kind of what Jesus is uh, talking about here? I started to say insinuating. There's no insinuating about it. Because when I looked at that, it says he said this to people who believed him. And I think it would not do violence to the word of God if you put quotes around the word believe. Because what he says right after that, it really doesn't sound like they're genuine, bona fide, born again, true blue believers, does it? In fact, he even addresses him, you are of your father the devil. That's not a child of God in any way, shape, or form. I think these are people who make a profession to believe in God, but there's no fruit in their lives. These are people who can give you all of the answers about believing God, but they don't live what they say that they believe. That has always been a problem in Christianity. It was a problem in the early church. It's been a problem throughout the centuries, and it is certainly a problem today. How do we get people to live what they say that they believe? And here's my answer. We can't. There's not a stinking thing we can do to change somebody's heart and to change their motive and their relationship with Christ. That's got to be the work of God. Okay? And uh, I was watching uh, this afternoon a video of Justin Peters. And he was talking about Bethel Church. In, it's a big mega church, a charismatic church in Redding, California. And they were the ones that I told you about one time that put glitter in their air conditioner vents. So that at a certain part of the service, when everything got really hyped up and moving, and the lights and the smoke and all of the things that are happening there, glitter started coming down. And everybody was saying, gold is coming from heaven. It's the presence of God. It was faked. And uh, they've got all kinds of problems. And uh, Justin was showing baptismal service. And uh, the uh, staff member that baptized him would ask him two questions. Number one, what's your name? Number two, why do you want to be baptized? Oh, my goodness. There was one person that gave their name and everybody applauded and that kind of stuff. And then um, uh, they said, why do you want to be baptized? Because I need more positive energy, more positive things in my life. And I want that to happen. And I'm hoping that baptism will bring more positive things into my life. Does that sound like the gospel? Does that sound like repentance from sin or Jesus dying on a cross to take the wrath of God or being raised from the dead? Does that sound like heartfelt commitment? I mean, do you really think that person would be a martyr for Christ? I'm looking for positive things to come into my life. What does that mean? More business? More money? A boyfriend? What does that mean? What are, we, what are we really looking for? And that's why you're being baptized. That sounds like New Age mysticism to me. Then there was a girl that they asked her her name. She said her name. And again, there were people that applauded her. 
And um, when she was saying why she wanted to be baptized, she said, I am called to lead an angel army for the animal kingdom. Going to have an angel army for the welfare of the animal kingdom. And I know I can't do it by myself. And then she choked up and said, I need God. Is that the purpose of the church? Is that the calling of a believer? It's okay to love animals. It's okay to protect them. But is that the calling? Is that what it really is all about? Do you think these people had any vague understanding of the gospel of Jesus Christ? You know, the early church, they were willing to die and be imprisoned for the sake of the gospel. But I don't think it was just simply to bring positivity in their life. Can you imagine Paul and Silas being chained up after being beaten raw? And they are chained up in the inner part of the prison. Their legs are cramping, their arms are cramping, and their backs hurt and uh, stinging with pain and burning with pain. And uh, Paul looks over to Silas and said, You know what? Uh, This isn't the positivity that I expected in my life. And Silas goes, I know, and how many animals are dying in Africa because we're not out there to help them? Where are the angel armies? I mean, it's ludicrous, isn't it? I mean, it's worthy of a laugh and also of a tear. What is going on? What is going on? How many people do you know that you could talk to and ask them, are you saved? Yes, I'm saved. Can you tell me how it is that you were saved and why you were saved? And it would be some superficial thing like, well, I felt really bad and I wanted to see my grandpa again. Well, that's good and you ought to feel bad. Nothing wrong with that. So what's your remedy? Well, I went down front. What? You went down front? Yeah. Well, what's special about going down front? And uh, we have criticized for, well, since the Reformation, Roman Catholics because they think that the priest at the front, at the altar, dispenses grace through the Eucharist. And I'm wondering, are Baptists any different? We think we can go down front and get some grace. And that's never presented like that in the Bible, is it? We always go to the cross. We always go to God. And we always see ourselves as sinful in his sight. So Jesus has some words and some things that he is saying that I think we need to hear. And uh, I I put them in question forms. uh, Because first of all, when we think about this and what is said here, well, is it true belief? Because you can have belief at different levels. You know, there are some people who believe that there are Martians. There are some people who believe the moon is made out of green cheese. There are some people who believe that Neil Armstrong actually stepped on the moon. There are some people who believe that was faked on a Hollywood set. On and on and on you could go. But most of those things are not things anyone would die for. Would you go to prison over that? You may be a person where you say, I think the whole COVID vaccine thing was a complete ruse. Yeah, but would you go to prison for it? Would you die for that? Probably not. I I wouldn't want to die for something on that level. Um, But for the sake of Christ, for the sake of the gospel, now that's a different story. And we've found men and women all throughout history that for the sake of Jesus Christ and his gospel, they not only would uh, suffer shame and rejection from their family and their friends, they would go to prison, they would suffer beatings, they would be burned at the stake, they would be executed for the cause of Christ. So what level of belief, I'd ask you this tonight, 
What level of belief are you at? Is it just something you just kind of believe? Something you just think? Something that you kind of feel in your gut? Probably, sort of, kind of might be true. Or is it something you would stake your life and eternity on that you would die for? That's what Jesus calls for, for disciples. So is it true belief or just kind of a superficial kind of thing that, uh, well, you know, it's, it's a nice thought. It's, uh, it would make a nice Hallmark movie, but, you know, other than that. So Jesus said to those who had believed in him, and so we've got to quantify that belief. And then he says this, here's how you tell. If you abide in my word, then you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So there's kind of a chain here. If you really are a believer in Jesus Christ, then you're not going to quit. You're going to abide in his word. We call it the security of the believer or the perseverance of the saints. If you go by the tulip acrostic. And uh, this is something where the word begins to liberate us. Now I know when you first get saved that even though your position and standing and relationship with God changes in an instant. But uh, we also know it takes time to understand principles. It takes time to be convicted about things. And some things that didn't bother you when you were first saved, you came to a point where you say, wow, this doesn't match up with my Christian profession. I've got to give this up. I've got to quit this. And we ought to be constantly reforming in our own personal life, constantly getting closer to what the Lord said when he said, be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. Uh, we ought to be constantly growing and getting to know those things and applying the word into our lives now some of us act like we've already been glorified we act like we've already dealt with all of that it's already been done it happened 50 years ago and uh, how long has it been since you've been convicted how long has it been since you have repented how long has it been since you have changed even now in your life as you walk with the lord because jesus said that's the mark of a true disciple you believe you continue and then you are constantly being set free not going into bondage but going into freedom number two let me ask you another question is it honest you know there's some people that they will tell you they are a believer but boy their lives there's so much dishonesty in their life they don't really love Jesus. They don't really believe everything they say they believe. And they don't really live up to everything that they say they uh, profess. There's a pretense and they're very defensive and they just kind of cover up everything. Notice what it goes on to say. They answered him, we are offspring of Abraham. Okay, what does that have to do with anything they've been talking about here? They're in the presence of the Son of God. Jesus didn't bring up Abraham. He didn't say, are you, are you really Jews? Are you really part of Israel? He didn't even bring that up. They did. You know why? Because they were bugged. They were bothered by what Jesus said. And so where are they going? They're going to run for cover. And they're going to run to Father Abraham for cover. We are offspring of Abraham. And look at this. Have never been enslaved to anyone. So how is it that you say you will become free. Folks, a flat-out lie. And anybody who knows Israeli history knows that's a lie. We are children of Abraham. We're a big deal. And we have never been enslaved to anyone. Well, except Pharaoh, right? Except Pharaoh and then, well, except Nebuchadnezzar in the kingdom of Babylon. Well, then, except for 
uh, Darius or Xerxes in uh, Persia. Well, uh, well, except for Alexander the Great in the Grecian Empire. And, uh, well, you know, except for Caesar Augustus, Octavian, who was reigning in Rome. And they were all Roman soldiers all around them. I mean, who do they think they are? But how many people do you know that when it comes to spiritual things, it's not really a heartfelt, uh, Jesus said, He who believes in me, as the scripture said, out of his innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. How many people do you know like that? Or how many people do you have to talk to and they sort of kind of pretend to know and pretend to be involved and pretend to care about any of those things? And it's pretty rare to find somebody who really is interested and cared. But they had this pretense, I'm not enslaved to anybody. I'm free in Christ. And yet they've got so many problems and addictions and things that the Lord would set them free from. Uh, but they're not really all that interested. They're more interested in pretending they found freedom. I, I can't tell you how many preachers I know that have fallen into adultery, lost their ministry, and in some cases lost their marriage. And I've talked to them afterwards and they say, Yeah, but I found more freedom before. All that I was doing before as a preacher and as a Christian, it was just legalistic. It was a pretense and all of that. Really? Or are you kind of trying to convince me now that your adultery was the best thing that ever happened to you? That's how God set you free? Jesus said it would be through knowing the truth that he would set you free. Not through falling into deep, dark sin. Now, I hope that they repented. And I hope they found the freedom that always eluded them. But why do we live behind masks? Why do we live behind cliches? Why do we live behind performance-based things? Well, I know I'm a Christian because I don't drink. Really? Is that your standard? That's as deep as it goes? Well, I know I'm a Christian because I go to church. The Bible does not say if any man be in Christ, he'll be a new creature and go to church. Now, he should, obviously, but that's not really the standard. And so we find that's what these people, they're running for cover and they're hiding behind things that will make them look respectable in spite of what Jesus said. I hope you're not doing that. And I hope you're concerned about people that are doing that. Number three, is it the gospel? Is it the gospel? I'm concerned when I talk to people and then they say everything but the gospel. Uh, the gospel really boils down to this. You can't, but he can. You can't, but he can. You see, I didn't get saved because I walked an aisle. In fact, when I got saved, I was leading music uh, at a church, and um, I was putting up the false front. I was the best hypocrite probably in the church. Nobody that I know of, nobody ever came out and said, you know, I always wondered about you. No, I had people try to talk me out of it and say, oh, you couldn't have gotten saved. I know the Lord has used you. And the lady that played the piano for me says, I just won't believe it. I won't believe that you weren't saved. And I said, I'm telling you, I just got saved. She goes, no, because I felt the Holy Spirit whenever you would be leading music and singing. And I, I just know that. And I said, well, I guess you can chalk it up to Balaam's donkey speaks again. Right? You get what I'm saying there? Because it was not real. And it was a performance on everything that I did. And uh, I was... The day that I made it public, I was standing behind the pulpit starting the invitation hymn, and I just walked down around and went to the pastor. I didn't even walk the aisle. What does that do for me? 
And uh, man, I'm, a, I, I'm in trouble if walking the aisle is what saves you. I'm in big trouble because I didn't do that. You see, everything needs to point to the gospel and to point to Jesus. I tried. I was not purposely going, Haha, I hate Jesus and I hate everything and I'm going to ruin and wreck this church and pretend to be something that I'm not. I didn't do that. I was sincere in everything and uh, I was trying my best to do it. I would go out and knock on doors and witness and then when I would get through driving in my car back home on Broadway and more, I would be saying, well, hey, a, a lost person wouldn't do that, would they? Notice what I was running for cover. We're children of Abraham. We've never been enslaved to anybody. That's what I was doing. A lost person wouldn't do that. Well, apparently a lost person did do that. I led uh, some people to the Lord that are serving God in ministry now before I was saved. So how did that happen? Because the Word of God is what is powerful, not me. See, the Word of God is true even if Hitler reads it. Somebody could get saved. And that's not an endorsement of Hitler or anything like that, obviously. But you, you see what I'm saying? And so many times we substitute things for the gospel. Well, I prayed a prayer. Well, I asked Jesus in my heart. Well, I quit taking drugs or I quit drinking alcohol or any number of things like that. Well, good. I'm glad you did. You will have a better life even as a lost person. But those things will not get you into heaven or into a right relationship with God. Because you can't. But he can. That's why he sent his son. If it could, there were any other way, the father would have said, do it. If there were any other way besides butchering the son of God, the father would have said, have at it. Do that and I'll accept it. But there was no other way because we could not do anything to even gain points with God or to get closer to God because everything we did was selfish and sinful and deceitful and uh, with ulterior motives and not for the glory of God, all of that. But oh, when the Holy Spirit drew you to Christ, then it was a whole different matter, right? Yeah, that's different. He gives you faith to believe. He draws you. You have the motivation and everything gets made right. I want to do this for the glory of God. There used to be a silly song that said, Anybody here want to live forever? Say, I do. Well, who's not going to do that? But anybody here want to live forever? Put your faith in Jesus Christ 100%. Repent of your sins and surrender to Him as your Lord, your master, your boss, and do what He says. Oh, I'm not sure I want to do that. I just would like to add a little Jesus to my life. Sprinkle a little Jesus salt on my scrambled eggs, so to speak. And uh, give, make it a little bit better. Make the life I already have a little bit better. And cover up all of the junk. And make sure that I don't smell anything rotten. And uh, make me look good in front of everyone. I'm afraid that's why a lot of people go to church. That's why they read their Bibles. That's why they get baptized. That's why they do all of the things that they do. But the Bible calls us to love God. And to surrender our lives to Him. And live for his glory. You may not have understood all of that when you first got saved. I certainly didn't. But there was no hesitance. There was no rebellion. There was no resistance. And as you learned it, you said, Amen. I yield to that. And that's where uh, I intend to go. I know far more about the gospel today than the day that I got saved. Does that mean I got saved over and over and over again? I don't think so. It just means I'm growing in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. So is it the gospel? 
The gospel that says you can't, but he can. And too many people point at what they do and what they did and what they felt and what they experienced rather than what Jesus did and what God did for them and pointing it to them. Notice here Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin and the slave does not remain in the house forever. He's a temporary person he dies he gets injured he's no longer useful to the master they sell him we all know how that works but the son remains forever and ever and ever as the generations pass on down in a kingdom so if the son sets you free you will be free indeed now to be free indeed you notice there that's a capital S. Jesus is speaking of himself. If I set you free, it's more than just a pretense. It's more than just a cover-up. It's more than just a, a game that you play. It's more than just a putting on a mask like an actor would do in those days. It is real because the Son set you free. You can't set yourself free like that. You can't set yourself free. You can set yourself free from certain things by sheer willpower and self-reformation, but you can't make your heart right with God, your motives right before God, and wanting to glorify God in everything you do. Only the Son can do that. And the gospel points to what we could never achieve for ourselves, but what God has done for us in His own Son. And I think that there are a lot of people that they think that getting saved is something they did. Getting saved is something that they, you know, God may have got it started, but I ran the ball across the finish line, and uh, Jesus was my quarterback, and he threw a pass to me, and I ran it into the end zone. Take that, devil, and all of that. That's not the way it happened at all. Try throwing a pass to a dead man. Try throwing a pass to somebody who's knocked out on the field and lying there unconscious. Okay, here you go, 34. You throw it, and he didn't catch it. Well, I can't believe he didn't catch it. Why? He couldn't catch it. And that's the way you and I were, except it was far worse than being unconscious, dead in trespasses and sins. The Lord had to do it for us. He ran the ball across the goal line, if you want to... Uh, Think of it that way. Which brings us then to number four. What does your spiritual DNA reveal? I, uh, before my dad died, I had him um, get that thing and spit in it and send it in. Because I was curious what our family uh, roots are and all of that. And I was uh, really just absolutely certain. If you looked at my dad, you would have thought he's got some... Uh, uh, um, Native American blood in him. You know what? When it came back, zero. Isn't that strange? And I thought that he was probably mostly Irish. I'd seen a thing that there's a pub with our name on it in uh, Dublin. He's very little Irish, mainly English. He's got some Swedish in him and those kind of things. And so uh, I always wondered, wow, I wonder what my mom's side of the family is. Her maiden name was Finn, used to be O'Finn. And the uh, guys that came over from Ireland, are you ready for this? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego O'Finn. Okay? And they came over here and they got in trouble. They robbed a train and had to run for their lives and you know, stuff like that. You know, you've got to be careful if you shake your family tree. You may get some nuts or some fruits. Who knows? And uh, so anyway, I've always been curious. Well, I wonder what mom is. Because sometimes the surname doesn't tell the whole story. That just means a 
Maybe they changed their name because they were criminals or maybe they married into somebody else and it looks like they're something. And so uh, we think they're Irish. And so I'm going to do a DNA test here pretty soon as soon as it comes in because I figure whatever matches up in mind with my dad and whatever doesn't must be from my mom. And uh, you can't, you know, DNA doesn't lie and DNA doesn't change. They catch a lot of criminals through DNA. Sorry, I was never there. Oh, really? Where your cell phone was pinging in this area and we found your DNA over here. Wow, that kind of proves that you were there. And that's what Jesus seems to be saying here. What does your spiritual DNA reveal? Because it always tells the truth. And notice he says, I know that you are the offspring. That's where you get your DNA, right? Offspring of Abraham. Yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father. And you do what you have heard from your father. See, notice all of the family connections there. The nature connections. The, we would say, DNA, genetic connections here. They answered him, Abraham is our father. Just keep repeating it. Gaslighting, isn't it? Until somebody tells you it's true. And I've noticed that a lot of liberals and others, they just keep repeating things. They don't really answer the questions. They just keep repeating things until they get their point across. Well, that started with Phariseeism, didn't it? And it says, Jesus said to them, If you were Abraham's children, true children, spiritual children, then you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me. A man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. No, it says Abraham believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness. You are doing the works of your, that your father did. And they said to him, we were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. So they're going to double down on all of this. What do you mean we're not right with God? We're right with God. We're Abraham's children. We are. That's just automatic, right? Huh. Like I heard an evangelist say one time, we had some, uh, a mama cat that had kittens and they were uh, born in a garage. I guess that makes them cars, doesn't it? Right? It, it doesn't work this way, but they keep pushing it, pushing it. Jesus said to them, now look at this, if God were your father, you would love me. Well, that's bottom line, isn't it? How many people do you know that claim they're going to heaven, but they don't love Jesus, and they don't love his bride, they don't love his church, his body, they don't love his word or anything like that? And he said, for I came from God, and I am here. I'm right here in front of you. Can't get any uh, better than that. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. So why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. It makes no sense to you. You're not going to put up with it. You are of your father the devil. Clear enough for you? You are of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning. That's why you want to kill me. And he does not stand in the truth. And Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character or resources where he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? Cast the first stone. 
If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? So Jesus calls them out. And he said, here's the deal, folks. If you were what you claim to be, this is what would be in your life. So let's conclude here by looking at a contrast. Because I'm concerned about a lot of people. Some people you're probably concerned about as well. Here's the contrast. If your father is the devil, notice here, they wanted to kill Jesus. They didn't want to embrace him. Now, people that we know, they may not necessarily want to kill Jesus, but neither do they want to surrender to him. Neither do they want to follow him. Neither do they want to embrace him. And the only reason they want to go to heaven is because fire sounds bad, but they don't really love Jesus, and they don't really want to worship him. Worship sounds boring for eternity to them, and uh, so they, they don't really have a love for Christ. And uh, notice here that the people that are, wh whose uh, father is a the devil, they have spiritual pride. We're moral, and we know, <laughs> wink, wink, where you came from. And we know about, you know, what your mom must have done. But we know who are, but we're legitimate, you know. Can you hear that just dripping with pride as they judge Christ for something that wasn't true? And then Jesus said, you cannot bear the word. It doesn't make sense. You don't understand it. You don't like it. You're bored by it. It seems like a bunch of fairy tales. How can that possibly be true? And uh, so then Jesus gives us a contrast. If God were your father, what would they be like? Here it is. You would love me. Bottom line, isn't it? Christians love Jesus. Lost people don't. Boy, that makes me shudder. You would embrace his mission. I didn't come on my own. I was sent. I have an assignment. See, we would embrace that. It's called the gospel. Jesus came to save sinners, Paul said, of which I am chief. We would embrace that and we would participate in it. And then also, you would love his word. You would do more than just put up with it. You would love it. You would crave it. You would hunger for it. It would feed your soul. It would be your source for freedom. And you would disdain lies and hypocrisy. In fact, you would know the truth. And the truth would not lead you into bondage. It would lead you into what? Freedom. And that's what we really want. Freedom, not bondage, not a performance, not being afraid people are going to find us out, not being afraid we'll be discovered for what we really are or anything like that. But walking in the truth, and the truth would set us free. So tonight, as we get ready to conclude, I'm bothered. And I'm bothered because... I don't think some of you are bothered. That, that bothers me bad as your pastor. It's, it's not right as a church that we don't care about the lost more. It, it's not right that we give people cover and when they flake out from the Lord, we say, well, at least they're safe. How do you know that? If they've got the characteristics Jesus said here of their father, the devil, we ought to be petrified and terrified about what their eternal destiny is going to be. They may not make it until the morning. And where would their eternal destiny be if Jesus is telling us the truth? It ought to be that we are on our face. It ought to be that every time we pray, people ought to be in the altar. And I'm going to call you to come to the altar because you've got sons and daughters. You've got cousins. You've got aunts and uncles and parents and grandparents who are not saved and it doesn't seem to bother you. And there's only one place to go, 
and that is to go to a sovereign Lord because He's the only one that can change their heart. He's the only one that can draw them and no one can come to uh, Jesus except the Father draw Him. Is that clear enough? That's what Jesus said. So why aren't we bombarding the throne of God saying, please, dear Lord, save <coughs> this person. And when are we going to quit giving them cover and acting like everything's okay and, well, it'll be okay when they die and all of that. Well, if you take Jesus seriously, which I hope you do, then that may not be the case. Let that sink in. That may not be the case. I'm not saying it can't be. They could be saved and they may die under chastisement. I don't know. And I can't judge their heart, neither can you. But if we take Jesus seriously at his word, it should bother us. It should bother us. And the only thing we can do about it is, of course, we can witness to them. But the other thing is, we can pray for them. And the great news about knowing the doctrines of grace and the sovereignty of God is we're not praying to a God where we cross our fingers and say, Oh God, please, if there's anything possible you can do, please try to do something and help us and help this person. I, I don't know if I were an Arminian, I don't think I'd pray for salvation for people because God's already done everything he can do and now it's up to this person. I'd be hammering that person. But if I do believe what the word of God says about his sovereignty and I have lost people that I love, I would be on my face begging God to intervene in their life like he did the Apostle Paul or Saul of Tarsus and to save them. Doesn't that make sense? Doesn't that seem like it ought to be what we ought to do? And if we love the Lord, we ought to love what the Lord loves. And Jesus came to earth to save sinners, the Bible says. And so our hearts ought to be there as well. So, tonight... I'm going to ask you to please come to the altar and pray for your family members, to pray for your friends, to pray for your co-workers, to pray for people that you know that are lost, and to pray for lost church members. I was one of those. Many of you have been one of those too. And God is the only one who can change that. Oh, dear Lord, save those in the church who are not truly born again. So will you come to the altar and let's spend some time in prayer praying for these people that we care about and that we love so deeply and who are playing the game. Don't play the game. You, you just can't do it. Don't play the game. He'll see right through it. Lyrics from an old song. And if you tonight are here and you're not saved, will you talk to me right after church? Or somebody? Because the Bible says whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. He'll save you if that's what you really want. Come down and start praying for those people. Are you burdened? Does it bother you? Have you shed any tears lately? They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. But the nonchalant don't bear any fruit. We cannot be like that. Call their name out before a thrice holy God, the sovereign one of the universe, the one who sent his son to die. Pray for them. Pray for God to send somebody to them. Pray for God to open up doors for you to share with them. And I know that's difficult sometimes with family. Continue to pray. 
and go before the Lord on their behalf. The old hymn says, Jesus is merciful, Jesus will save. Thank God that he'll do that. He saved people like me, and I was the biggest hypocrite of them all. Paul called himself the chief of sinners. Hey, if the chief has been saved, there's room for anybody. Anybody. 